We join the song of angels and praise you day and night. That's what worship is all about, my friends, right? We've gathered together this morning to worship, to declare the greatness of our God. And as we do that, we're going to continue worshiping this morning in um, the preaching of the Word of God. Now, you know that it's important for us as uh, preachers to preach the Word of God, not preach our own opinions, not preach our own thoughts and our own uh, mindset, but to preach the Word of God. Um, I need to tell you, Ben, I talked to my mom this week, uh, and she told me that you did a magnificent job on Sunday, Um, and she's very thankful that you preached what you preached, that what God laid upon your heart, you were willing to deliver that to us, and uh, so are are the rest of us, but uh, uh, we got a couple of uh, commendations regarding your message uh, online and otherwise, so thank you. Isn't it great to be able to have somebody that you can be confident in and trust that when they stand behind this desk, they're going to preach the truth and, and not hold back. So we'll praise the Lord for that. And uh, also when I told my mom who was leading, she said, oh, Mark has such a nice voice. I like to hear him lead. So um, both of our uh, leaders have been commended well and they deserve it. And so uh, thank you guys for helping us out and ministering to our congregation and assisting in our worship of our great God. All right, uh, I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles, if you wouldn't, turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. About a month ago, uh, thanks to COVID, it should have been two weeks ago, but about a month ago, uh, the title of our message was Stones, okay? And I commented how that was one of the shortest titles I think that I've ever had for a message. We talked about in that message the fact that we are living stones because of the work that the living stone did on our behalf. Um, uh, Two weeks ago, uh, before COVID, uh, we had the opportunity to look at and consider the character of the stones. Now, this morning... If you look up on the title of the screen, it's not there, and it's not because I forgot. Um, it's because I didn't put it there for a reason. In fact, I had a little bit of technical issue, so I had to call my son uh, yesterday or the day before, and I said, hey, uh, I'm having a problem. Can you help me out? And he, so he takes over my computer uh, like he normally does, uh, and he says, there's no title there. I said, I know. He thought we lost the title in some kind of transition. I said, no, it's, it's not supposed to be there, okay? Um, and it's not supposed to be there because it's going to be, in fact, the shortest title of any message that I've ever preached, okay? But again, let me, let me just uh, uh, let you know that the length of the title has no bearing on the length of the sermon, okay? Uh, so you understand that. Short title doesn't mean short sermon, uh, but we're going to continue our study in First Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. And you might, just as we get ready to pray here in a minute, uh, you might want to pray for me, um, as that I'll have the energy and the stamina and all that kind of stuff that uh, I normally have when I preach. That's why Ben preached last week, because I don't know if you noticed that when I did the announcements, I was struggling. I couldn't get, you know, I was just having a hard time getting all the air in that I needed and that kind of stuff. So we'll see how today unfolds. Um, and that's kind of why Ben's doing tonight as well. I don't, don't want to do double duty today. Uh, hopefully by next week, though, we'll be back uh, completely in the saddle. So anyway, uh, the title of our message this morning, I'm going to let you try and guess it as we read uh, the passage of Scripture. So would you stand together with me and read from the screen 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. It was there. There it is. All right, let's read together. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who were once not a people, but are now the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Let's pray, and as we pray, you can think about maybe what the title of the message is. You've read it three times now already, so let's pray and ask God's blessing upon our time together in the Word. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you today, and we thank you so much for the privilege of opening your Word. 
We thank you for the privilege of studying your word. And we ask, Lord, that as we look at our text this morning, we would be challenged, we would be encouraged, we would be determined to be more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, that's the goal of every child of God, to become more and more like Jesus. So as we study your word together this morning, we pray that that would be the outcome in our lives. Help us to take this word this morning uh, and live it out throughout the day today, throughout the week that's coming before us, the months and the years to come until you should come and take us home to be with you. Thanks again for your love and your blessings and for what we will learn from your word today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. So what is the title of our message this morning? No, it's not chosen. It's, my, it's one of my favorite words in the Bible. But, but, but is the title of our message this morning. We read it three times. But you are a chosen generation, but are now a people, but now have obtained mercy. Can I tell you something? Those three phrases that follow the word but are so important for us as the children of God. We could have titled the message chosen or chosen generation, um, but we didn't. We wanted to bring about the contrast of what we were to what we are. Our title this morning reminds us of the fact that we are different because we have a relationship with the living stone. We are different. We are not the same. Thank you, I have one. Um, We are not the same as what we were before we came to know Jesus Christ as our Savior. And you know what? Praise God. Some of us, God saved out of, you know, at a young age and there weren't very many horrible things going on in our lives at that time. Uh, But can you imagine the things that we could have gotten involved in if God didn't save us out of those things? For others, got saved later on in life and God saved you out of horrible things. You know what? Your praise to God is no greater than the praise to God uh, for the one who was delivered and kept from those things. We praise God for his amazing work because all of us were sinners, all of us were on our way to a Christless eternity in a place called hell, but God saved us. He called us to himself. Let me remind you that a couple weeks ago we looked at this living stone. We accepted him as the only solution for sin. The only means by which we could be reconciled to the living stone and to the heavenly father. Um, so as we think about this this morning, if you're here this morning and you've never bowed your heart and head before almighty God, you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal savior, you don't enjoy the contrast that those of us who have trusted Christ enjoy. You're still in the dead part. You're still in the without Christ. You're still not a living stone. You're still on your way to a Christless eternity in a place called the lake of fire. So if you're here and you need to talk to somebody about how to solve that problem, we have the answer for you. And it's not something that I made up. It's something that God has declared in the pages of Scripture. That whole idea of being delivered from eternity in hell and becoming a living stone sets the stage for the first of our three buts in our text this morning, okay? Um, We see, first of all, in verse 9, the fact that we have a standing in the living stone. What is our standing in the living stone? Peter's about to embark on several incredible things that contrast are standing in the living stone with those that have abandoned the living stone or those that refuse to come to the living stone. Um, We concentrated a couple of weeks ago on the outcome of those that chose to abandon Jesus Christ, those who chose not to accept Christ as their personal savior. Um, And it was bleak. I, I don't know if you remember me saying, boy, if it weren't for what we know our standing is in Jesus, we would be upset, we would be saddened by this message this morning. We would have no hope. But because of what Christ did, we have hope. We have a living hope. So as we think this morning, I want you, as, as maybe as bleak as it was a couple of weeks ago, we're shifting gears and we're going to see how amazing it is to be a child of God and to be living in the living stone. 
I chose the word awesome here to tell you that our standing in Christ in the living stone, it's really something special. It's awesome. It's not anything like what we were before knowing Christ. And you know me, I don't use that word awesome very much. I use it only for things that pertain to our great God and what he has done in us and for us and continues to do through us. So it's very amazing to be able to use that word in the proper context. Um, You know, some of us, probably most of us sitting in this room, we watched a very good football game last Sunday night. Most of us didn't like the outcome of that football game. And most of us are now complaining about the rules and the the overtime rules in the NFL, okay? But that wasn't an awesome game. Josh Allen nor Patrick Mahomes had an awesome game. They had very good games, both of them. And I'm fully convinced that if the Bills had a chance on offense in overtime, they would have tied the score. But we're not going to get into that this morning. So anyway, um, awesome though is what our God does. Awesome is the fact that our God took us from sinners condemned to hell without any excuse because we all have rejected Christ. Yes, we were born into sin and and we were sinners by nature, but we were also sinners by choice. All of us deserve that condemnation. He took us from that condemnation and he transformed us into children of light. And we're going to get into that as we work our way through the text this morning. Can I tell you what? That's awesome! That is awesome. And there's nothing else in this world or out of this world quite like it. Peter has some pretty explicit things or specific things that he says about our standing in the living stone. He starts off by telling us that we are a chosen generation. A chosen generation. Now, the screen already reveals to you what that means, and don't be upset with me, and don't say, I don't like that word, pastor, because it's a great word. You and I are elect. Elect. We've talked about the idea of election in our Sunday nights, uh, in our study in salvation, soteriology. You can't study soteriology without talking about election. We as a church believe in that. We believe that God chose from among condemned sinners some to be the recipients of his great grace. And you might say, well, pastor, that doesn't seem fair. Yes, it is fair. Because if God didn't choose some, then all would go to hell. But God chose from among condemned sinners and through no merit of your own, He didn't look down through the corridors of time and say, oh, he would be a great person to have on my team. Or, you know what, if I had him on my team, he would persuade. No, that's that's not why God chose us. He chose us based on his grace and his mercy from among condemned sinners and made us part of his family. We are a chosen generation. And as we think about this, let's talk for a moment about who's doing the choosing. Most of you know that I have made some choices in my past, choices that some of you don't like and choices that others are very happy about. I chose to choose or to cheer for the New York Yankees a long time ago. And you know what? I'm a loyal fan. I will not leave the Yankees, even though they haven't been to a World Series in a long time. Okay? I still choose to cheer for them. I also, and most, many people here are okay with that because we're all from New York, right? Or at least live in New York now. But I also chose to cheer for the Dallas Cowboys. And some people say, boo, But you know what? Hey, listen, I can tell you this. There's only one team in the NFL that has more Super Bowl champions than the Dallas Cowboys. So those of you who say, you don't, you know, just be quiet because you can't compare. All right? Anyway, um, I didn't choose to cheer for the Dallas Cowboys because I grew up in Dallas or because I was born in Dallas. I chose to cheer for the Dallas Cowboys because of Tom Landry. And, and a lot of the guys, when I was like six years old, you know, like Ed Jones, Ed Two Tall Jones, Randy White, great players. Roger Staubach, a great Christian man 
who loved the Lord and played football the best of his ability and gave all credit to God. That's, that's why I chose the Cowboys. Now, I listen, I understand Jerry Jones is bad for the sport. Okay, I get that. But I said, I'm loyal. I made that choice, and I choose to continue to cheer for them, even though my brother-in-law ridicules me to no end for it. But he's a Cubs fan, so, you know, uh, we are chosen. We make choices, right? We make choices, and we need, to, we need to understand that God made a choice to elect us, to choose us. Praise God. I'm so thankful that God chose me. And you know what? When we think about choosing, I, I grew up playing sports all the time. I mean, and it didn't even have to be in the summer. We would be out on a day like today. Yes, it's only what? It's, it's 12 degrees outside. On a day like today, we would finish church, we would have lunch, and we would be outside playing hockey. That's what we would do. And it, we, had, we always had to choose teams. Okay? Now, you know, you always choose the same people to be on your team, right? Because you know how they play, you know how good they are. Um, but if you're an outsider who comes to play at one of our pickup hockey games, you're probably going to be the last one to get chosen. Why? Because nobody knows how good you are, or better yet, nobody knows how bad you might be. Okay? Um, and the same way, you know, you go to a new place, you're a new kid at school or whatever, nobody knows you. So you don't get picked first to be on the team. So we have, some, we have a gym teacher in our, in our church here, and, and gym teachers at some point a while ago came up with a, a good way to kind of level the playing field. Count off by however many teams you're going to need, whether it's four teams or two teams or whatever. Count off by fours, count off by twos, and then you know, you get separated, fours over here, threes here, twos one. And you know, when we were in school, we tried to get around that so much. You know, you, 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 you'd, you'd figure out, the, the teacher says, okay, count off by, by fours. So you go, one, two, three, four, and you'd find a, find a spot where you'd be the same number as your, as your friend who you knew was really good. But the gym teachers caught us. No, 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 you get over there where you were supposed to be. Why? Because they want it to be fair. They want it to be, they want it to be even. Think about this, though. The creator of the universe didn't say count off by fours. The creator of the universe simply chose. He chose me, and he chose you. The creator! God! There's nobody as good. There's nobody better. There's nobody greater. God chose me. I still can't figure it out. I don't understand. Why would God choose me? I don't know. And I may never know. But he did. So you know what I say? Praise God. Thank you, God. He didn't choose me because of my skill. He didn't choose me because I was a nice person. Because if I didn't know Jesus as my Savior, I probably wouldn't be a nice person. So thank you, God, for changing me and making a difference in my life. Paul explains the method of choosing over in 1 Corinthians. Listen to it in verses 26 to 31 of chapter 1. He says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you are wise. That's me. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But, there's that word, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. There wasn't anything in me or in you that God needed giving him the reason for choosing us. It's just the opposite. There was nothing good in us. We were, as scripture says, totally depraved. And yet he still chose us. 
He determined to place his redeeming love on me and on you and to make us part of his family for all of eternity. Wow. Can I tell you what? If, if, we, if we were transported back to our childhood days in the condition we are today, I probably wouldn't get picked for as many teams as I got picked for when I was younger. And I probably wouldn't pick certain people to be on my team because age has changed the way we look. That changes how fast we are, how, how quick we might be, how strong, how accurate. We wouldn't choose those. But you know what? God chose us for eternity. He's not going to change his mind. He's not going to say, oh man, you can't do that anymore? I don't need you now. He chose us and he makes us, he equips us to do what he calls us to do. To God be the glory. So we are chosen, we are elect. We also, Peter says, are a royal priesthood. In other words, we are esteemed. Not only did God choose us, but he also raised us up to a greater status. Think about it this way. We were not even part of the church. And when I speak of church here, I speak of it kind of in a generic sense, not a specific body of believers. We had no desire to be part of the church. And in fact, probably thought the church was at best not necessary or at worst a joke. (laughs) Church. You really go to church? You read the Bible? You pray? Why do you do those things? They don't have any impact on life. Well, yes, they do. We were moved from being outside of the church and maybe even opposed to the church, moved to being part of the church. And more than just part of a church, actually royalty in the church. But here's the cool thing. There's not a designated royal class. We are all royalty in the body of Christ. We are all joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Because we've been made a part of the body of Christ, because God brought us into the body, we've been given a significant role to play in the body. We've been given responsibilities in the body. You might say, well, pastor, what's my responsibility? You ready for this? I'm glad you're all sitting down. Here's your responsibility. Your responsibility in the church is to serve. To serve in the church, to serve in the body. Pastor, you're just telling me that because you want me to do something. I know. No, Paul said it a long time ago. Romans chapter 12, verses one and two. Listen to this. He says, I appeal to you, brothers. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual form of worship or service. God wants you to serve him in the body of Christ. So can I let you in on a little secret? There's places in Calvary Baptist Church that you can serve. And if you're not serving, you need to find a place where you can serve. You need to find a spot that you can say, this is how I want to offer myself to God because God has burdened my heart in this area. Pastor, can you help me? Or leadership, can you help me figure out how to do that? What that would look like in the body of Christ here at Calvary Baptist Church. And we'd be happy to do that. Now, God didn't save us to just sit back and do nothing. He saved us to serve. He saved us to be active in his body. And here's another thing. We don't serve because it makes us feel good. We serve because God has called us to serve. Sometimes service is hard. Sometimes service is, I'd really rather do something else at this point in time. But when God has called you to serve, we serve because it's a calling that God has given us. We don't serve just for the sake of serving. So we are a royal priesthood. God has given us a status through his son, Jesus Christ, 
that is out of this world. It gets even more incredible. He says that you are a holy nation. In other words, we have been exalted. We have been exalted from humanity to deity. Now, I understand that there are certain churches and religions that believe that you're going to become a god. That's not what I'm suggesting here. We are children of God, and that's where our deity goes and it ends. God has placed us in his family. I'm never going to become a god. There is only one God, and there will only ever be one God for all of eternity. But God has moved us from simply human beings to being part of the family of God, to be one of his children. This is one of those lists that just keeps getting better with each next truth. First we're elect, then we're esteemed, now we're exalted. And again, it's important to understand our exaltation is not because we worked hard and earned it. There's rumors, maybe they're true, be nice if they were, that Tom Brady is going to retire from football. Why is Tom Brady, I'm not telling you that I agree with this, okay? But why is Tom Brady considered the GOAT, the greatest of all time? Well, first and foremost, maybe because he cheated. I mean, never mind that. Um, Because he's worked hard. He didn't get where he is today by being lazy and being the last one to the field and, and only there during the required times. Remember when he moved to Tampa Bay in the middle of COVID? He was actually collected, I don't know if he was arrested, but the police came, he was out in a park playing football, throwing the football. And the police came and they took, told him, you have to go home and you can't, and it was on the news, you know, Tom Brady, Tom Brady broke the COVID rules, blah, 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 blah. He works hard. At 44, he still has the best stats in the league. <laughs> what does that say? He's a hard worker. He probably, I don't know if I really want to say this, especially being recorded, but he probably deserves the accolades he's received. That's hard to say. But anyway, you and I, he, and he's been promoted. He moves up the ranks. He's, he's who he is because of what he's done. You and I have been exalted not because of what we've done, has absolutely nothing to do with what we've done, but has everything to do with the fact that Jesus saved us. Jesus equips us. Jesus calls us. Jesus puts us into ministry. And Jesus does ministry through us. We have been exalted to the family of God. God has placed you and I, He has placed us in the heavenly places. He did it. We didn't do it. Paul talks about this amazing exaltation in Ephesians chapter 2. Listen to what he says. We'll pick it up at the end of verse 5 and then verses 6 and 7. He says, by grace you have been saved. That's when the exaltation begins. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ. Woo! (coughs) Excuse me. Man, that's a lot that he has done for us. He has exalted us to a place that we do not deserve. He has given us a place that we have not earned and could never earn it. It is all ours through Jesus Christ. He has exalted us. He goes on to say that we are his own special people. His own special people. You know what that makes us? That makes us extraordinary I think the first time I ever read that word, I read it extraordinary. And that's what we are. We're not just ordinary people. We are extraordinary. Again, not because of what we've done, but because of the living stone. Peter says that he's made us his own special people. Now, I grew up memorizing the old King James Version of the Bible, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's easier to memorize. And those things kind of stick in your head. 
But listen to how the King James says this verse. It says that God has called us a peculiar people. A peculiar people. And while some of us are stranger than others, that's not what Peter's talking about here when he uses that word peculiar. Ken Wiest has a commentary and he talks a lot about word studies in that commentary. This is what he says about the word peculiar in the King James Version. He says, the word peculiar today means odd and strange, right? We, we get that, okay? But it is not so used here. The Greek word speaks of the unique, private, personal ownership of the saints by God. Each saint is God's unique possession, just as if that saint were the only human being in existence. That's pretty amazing. God thinks of you and I as if we are one of a kind. His one special treasure. There's some pretty amazing things that are true about us that we have just considered. The fact that we are extraordinary, the fact that we are exalted, the fact that we are esteemed, and the fact that we are elect. Those are things that are true about us, not because of what we've done, but because of the work of Christ on the cross of Calvary on our behalf, in completion of the Father's plan in eternity past. Peter wants us to understand and wants us to know that we as the church are unique people. Now, some people will say, well, because Peter says that we are chosen, that we are elect, all those things, that must mean that we've taken the place of Israel. Can I tell you first and foremost that that's nonsense? There are some people who will, who will preach and teach what we call replacement theology. A lot of covenant theologians a lot of Reformed theologians find themselves in the camp of covenant theology and they say that the church has replaced Israel. That's not true. The church is the church, Israel is Israel, and the two, by God's grace, have been merged in the church age. Paul says there's no longer Jew, Jew nor Greek, bond nor free. We're all one in Christ. Okay. So once we come to know Jesus as our Savior, the title Jew and Gentile, they go away, they disappear. Right, But understand this, the church has not taken the place of Israel. It never will take the place of Israel. When Jesus comes back, and he is coming back, when he comes back and he takes up residence on earth again, that's after the rapture, by the way. First thing that happened, or the next thing that happened is the rapture, where he comes to the clouds, he catches us up, we go home, we're with him in heaven. Some things that take place there, and and if you want to know, come back, and we'll talk about it, eschatology on Sunday nights. Um, But after that seven-year period, something's going on here on earth, it's called the tribulation period. After that seven-year period, Jesus is going to come back. He's going to touch down on the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives is going to split, and he's going to set up his kingdom. And he's going to rule, and he's going to reign for a thousand years. That's the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. All the promises ever made to Israel that have not yet been fulfilled will be fulfilled in in that time period. Make no mistake about it. The church is not Israel. Israel is not the church. Israel has not been replaced by the church. Here's the biggest reason for that. Because if, if Israel has been replaced by the church, then God can't be God anymore. That's as simple as it is. So what do you mean, pastor? Well, because he didn't keep the promises to the people he made the promises to. And if he couldn't keep promises to them, what makes us think he can keep promises to us? Can I tell you, God is God. And God will keep his promises. He will fulfill every promise to the nation of Israel that was ever made to them. And he will fulfill every promise that was made to the church that was made to the church. I'm waiting. Amen. Praise God. Thank you for being God. Um. To, to think that Israel has, replaced, has been replaced by the church is a misinterpretation of this and any other passage of Scripture. Roger Ramirez makes this comment on, in the Bible Knowledge camp Commentary. He says, As Israel was a chosen people, 
a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. That's all true about Israel. So too believers today are chosen. They are priests, they are holy, and they belong to God. But similarity does not mean identity. Okay? Similarity does not mean identity. Just because we have similar titles doesn't mean that we identify in place of each other. Well, we need to keep moving. Um, We see also in our text this morning the service we do because we are living stones. We saw our standing. Now we see the service that we do because we are living stones. As we're thinking about the things Peter says are true of us because of the living stone, it makes complete sense that we should have a response to that. We We would and we should offer abundant praise and worship to our great God. We read it earlier, but Peter puts it this way. He says that you may proclaim the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Our title this morning is But. But indicates that there's a contrast. In our case for those being in the living stone, the contrast is from what we were to what we are now. Now we are. This is something that we do now. We couldn't do it before, but now we do it. We declare the praises of him who called us. When you think of the word declaration, what generally comes to your mind? There you go. Got it from both sides. Okay, as Americans, that's what normally comes to our mind. The declaration of independence. Way back in 1776, our founding fathers got got together to tell King George and the British army something. You know what they told him? Go home. Paul Harvey, in his amazing account of the Declaration of Independence, which is entitled, Our Lives, Our Fortunes, and Our Sacred Honor, he puts it this way. On June 11th, and this is a good reminder for our nation today, okay? On June 11th, the committee sat down to draw up the Declaration of Independence. We were going to tell the British fatherland, no more rule by redcoats. That's what we were going to tell them, and that's what we told them. The next paragraph records these words. Jefferson had finished the draft of the document in 17 days. Congress, ado- <coughs> excuse me. Congress adopted it in July, and so much is familiar history. But now King George III had denounced all rebels in America as traitors. Punishment for treason was hanging. The names now so familiar to you from the several signatures on that Declaration of Independence, those names were kept secret for six months. For each knew the full meaning of that, ma- <coughs> excuse me, that magnificent last paragraph in which the signature pledged his life, his fortune, and his sacred honor. <coughs> his life, his fortune, and his sacred honor. Excuse me, sorry. What we are reminded of here is that in a declaration, there is passion. In a declaration, there is commitment. The same should be true for you and I as we declare our praise to God. Passion and commitment to, (coughs) to our great God. Not just because of what... He has done for us, but because of who He is. We should be passionate about God. We should be committed to God because of who our great God is. Talented songwriter Lincoln Brewster records who our God is in his song, Only You. These are the words. What is this love that won't relent, that's calling out with heaven's breath, who is reaching wide to save our souls, only you. What is this grace that makes no sense, that we could never recompense, who gives us all a second chance? Only you, only you, only you. There's no one like our God. There is no one like our God. There is no other God who can save. (coughs) There is no one like our God. Who hung the stars upon the night and showed the sun how bright to shine. Who shaped the world within his hands, only you. Who set the sky upon the hills, who told the waters to be still. Who spoke to form the universe, 
<clears throat> only you, only you, no height or depth can stand between us. No power on earth or, call, or all creation, no life or death can separate us from your love. There is no one like our God. No one like our God. He is one of a kind. What a great God he is. And he is certainly worthy of all of our praise and all of our honor. This song speaks of more to who he is, but we also praise him for what he has done. What has he done for you and I? What has God done for you? What has he done for me? Well, Peter talks about it next. (coughs) He talks about his amazing deliverance that God has provided for us. An amazing deliverance. What's that deliverance? Well, he's called us out of darkness. And he's brought us into his marvelous light. You see here, the point that we're making is, it's not some ordinary deliverance. This is an amazing deliverance. This is an awesome deliverance. He points out to us, (coughs) excuse me, what we were. Our fallen state. We were fallen. We were, we were downcast. We were outcast. We were in darkness. Darkness was our domain. It was our habitation. You know what happens if something or someone is literally in the dark for an extended period of time? They die or it dies. Death is the eventual outcome for those who only know darkness. <clears throat> in darkness, there's hopelessness. Remember, around Christmas time, I referred to a verse in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. But there's more to this child, Jesus, than just that verse. A few verses earlier, The prophet Isaiah tells us more about the result of the birth of this child. In verse 2 he says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of a deep darkness, on them the light has shone. The thing is, for those that are in the living stone, this fallen state is a past condition. That's another place to say amen. We're not in a fallen condition anymore. We have been changed. We are in the living stone. Peter says, we were called. And here's our current current situation. Our fabulous transformation is into his marvelous light. Into his marvelous light. In order to understand this transformation, we need to jump back to the minor prophets. And we're not going to spend a lot of time there. But listen to what Hosea says in Hosea chapter 2, verse 23. In fact, it's going to be up here on the screen. So go ahead, Timothy, to the next screen. Okay, this is what Hosea says, God says to the people of Israel through Hosea. King James Version, ESV. And I will have mercy on her who had not obtained mercy. Then I will say to those who were not my people, you are my people, and they shall say, you are my God. A little clearer, a little easier to understand. And I will have mercy on no mercy. (coughs) (coughs) Excuse me. I will have mercy on those people who did not know mercy, who did not deserve mercy, who should not get mercy. You know what he's talking about there? Everyone, but in particular the Gentiles. No mercy. And I will say to not my people, Gentiles. I will say to those who are not Israel, who are not Jews, I will say to not my people, you are my people. Amen? <clears throat> Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. You are my people. And he those of us who are not my people, we shall say, you are my God. There's a relationship that is ours. That relationship is God is my God and I am his child and we are together forever. Wow. God said, 
those people who didn't receive the mercy of God, who weren't part of the nation of Israel, get to be my people. What a blessing for you and I. That's the, that's the fabulous transformation. He brought us into his marvelous light. You see, to be not my people is to be a people in darkness. That's where we were before the living stone. We were in darkness. We are now my people. We are the people of the one true God. <clears throat> and so as a result, we say, you, God, are my God. You are my God. This is more than just a little catchphrase. <clears throat> that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. But in this statement, there is hope. In this statement, there is comfort. In this statement, you know what there is? There is life. There is no greater transformation that one can experience than this transformation that Peter is talking about here. Well, let's wrap it up with our substance as a result of the living stone. <clears throat> the next two buts in our text speak of the great transformation that the living stone has made a reality for you and I who know Jesus Christ as our Savior. <clears throat> if there was any doubt about what Hosea, that what Hosea wrote was on Peter's mind, it's removed here in the next verse. It says, Who once were not my people, but are now my people, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained. That's basically a quote from Hosea chapter 3, or chapter 2, verse 23. Peter knew what Hosea had said about the Jewish people and about the, the people who would become the people of God. <clears throat> he says here that we once had no place to call home. You and I had no place to call home. Have you ever been homeless? <clears throat> Technically, we were homeless. At one time. Thank you. We were homeless. We, Micah and Rachel went to Metamora High School, or Metamora School, and we went into the principal's office for a parent-teacher thing, and um, they had this big poster. Um, and, and we met all the qualifications for being homeless. I mean, we were living with Barb's mom and dad, but still, all of those qualifications. But that's not what Peter's talking about. A real homeless person they don't know where they're going to put their head tonight. A real homeless person, they don't know where their next meal's coming from. If it's going to come. A real homeless person, they have no association, they have no connection. They have no place that they can say, I'm going to go home tonight. <clears throat> you and I, before knowing Christ as our Savior, we had no place to call our home. But you know what? We have a home. You and I, we're going home someday. And I don't mean I'm crossing the road. I mean I'm going home. I'm going to glory. I'm going to heaven. Because that's where my home is. There's a southern gospel song that's a favorite song sung by the likes of the Statler brothers and the Gaithers and even Ernie Haas gives it a shot. <clears throat> it goes like this. It was written in early 1900. It says, This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Oh, Lord, you know I have no friend like you. If heaven's not my home, then, Lord, what will I do? The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, <clears throat> and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Verse 4 of that song says, just up in glory land, we'll live eternally. The saints on every hand are shouting victory. Their songs are sweetest praises, drift back from heaven's shore, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. You feel like that? Are you, are you ready to go home? Are you longing for home? You know, had a couple of friends this week who lost uh, parents or who are, who are on the verge of losing a, a spouse. And <clears throat> both of these individuals said, hey, my mom, she told me she was ready to go. Ready to go home to glory. My wife, she, we had a long talk, and she's ready. If, if God wants to call her home, she's ready to go home. That's what you and I have to talk about. <clears throat> Going home when God calls us. What a blessing it is to know that you and I, we have a home, and someday we're going to go spend eternity with our great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Paul reminds us of that in Titus chapter 2, where he says this in verses 11 through 14. 
For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. And here it is, waiting for that blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself, guess what? A peculiar people, a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Wow. That's our home. And we get to go home because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. He also says that there was no provision for mercy for those of us who were outside of Jesus Christ. Those of you that may still be outside of Jesus Christ, there's no provision for mercy without the living stone. We did not know mercy. We didn't understand mercy. We, we were, and I'm not talking about human mercy here. I'm talking about mercy, the real mercy that matters. Oh, you can ask for mercy from the judge. You might get it. You might not get it. But we didn't ask for God's mercy. He simply poured it out on us. He lavished it upon us. Objects of mercy who should have known wrath were filled with unspeakable joy, riches of wisdom, unsearchable wealth, and the wonder of knowing your voice. You are our treasure and our great reward, our hope and our glorious King. Back in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul declares the mercies of God. In verses 4 and 5, he says, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. Would you agree with me that there's no mercy like the mercy of our great God? And you and I, we've heard this mercy. We've seen this mercy. We know this mercy has been poured out on us. It's been just no expenses barred. He gave his only son to show how much mercy he had for us. No wonder we declare the praises of him who has called us out of darkness into light, into life. But... A word meant to note contrast. Those of us in the living stone have a great contrast from what we were to what we are now. We were dead, but now we are alive. We were hopeless, but now we have a living hope. We were homeless, but now heaven is our home. We had no mercy, but now we know the mercies of the one true God. We were nothing, but now we are blessed beyond all measures. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we say thank you for what we are now. We know what we were, and by your grace we are no longer that. Father, we have been brought into your family, into your abode. Cost you a great deal cost you your son. But now, Father, because of your son's great work on Calvary, because of your resurrection of him from the dead, because he ascended back into glory, and because at some point soon you're going to say, Jesus, go and get your bride. Oh, man, what a difference it has made in our lives. This morning we say to you, thank you. Thank you for your great grace. Thank you for your great mercy. Thank you for the contrast from what we were to what we are now. To God be the glory for the great things you have done and you continue to do in our lives. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.